My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Subversive Podcast. Uh, I am Alex Kashuta, and today with me we have uh, Gio, Joe, Penacchietti. Yes. Oh, you, wow, you actually said it the right way. Penacchietti. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I'm pretty close to your ancestral homeland. <laughs> I've got good instincts about pronunciation, though I don't speak Italian. Um, and Gio is a writer and impressionist painter and a self-declared Jungian traditionalist. Welcome, Gio. Thank you. Well, maybe Jungian futurist. We'll, we'll see how the podcast goes. But uh, Oh, yeah. Well, we're all, you know, hoping for Castizo Jungian <laughs> futurism. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to be here. I'm a very, very big admirer of uh, your, your work and your posting. So Aww, I'm thank very, you. very honored that you, you've picked me for uh, your flagship podcast. I'm very honored. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. I love I love your content as well, obviously. Um, and um, yeah, I'm here to ask you about something that is completely mysterious to me. Uh, art. I am a total oh. Philistine, <laughs> someone who doesn't really get art. And uh, my vibe about art is usually that, you know, kind of like pornography. I, I know it when I see it. And if mm. I don't see it, it's not art or it's, yes. it's just a disgusting, you know, demonic <laughs> projection. So... <laughs> Gio, what is art? <laughs> Illuminate oh me. Oh my God, that's like <laughs> what? What is art? That's like saying how to breathe, you know? Uh, what is art? Um, it's it's something I guess everyone, when you're an artist, intuitively asks you. Like you ask yourself this: What is art? And I, the way I view it is, I don't try to, um, I don't try to quabble with the definition that much because the certain, how shall we say, the certain zeitgeist that we live in. Uh, the question of art itself for I would say the better part of 60 years and beyond has come unto, under question. But I would say that art is anything that would unite um, that would unite the world with one's inner world. And it is a worlding of sorts. It is a creation of a world. This is a very, again, this is like a very Heideggerian definition of art, but I would say that art is anything to quote the, my favorite art critic, Robert Hughes, something that uh, slips sentiment into meaning and something that creates a world unto itself. And whether we want to quibble over the exact sort of teke of art and how to make art, that is always going to be under question, especially nowadays. But I do feel that art is something that you know when you see because it's a creation of the world. It's a creation of something that has... I would say, in my opinion, a spiritual comportment to it. Uh, and art is something that cannot be, rather, art is unlike any other human endeavor because it encompasses and is the filter through which all other human endeavors uh, pass through. People say that's philosophy, but I would say philosophy itself is um, 
like the work of art in that regard. So art is the meta endeavor of all of human existence. Art encompasses everything, literally everything, <laughs> and, and sometimes physically so with uh, modern installation art and performance art and so forth. But yeah, basically, I don't know. That's really, that's such a broad question. Yeah, but th yeah Thank you course. for asking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for, for torturing you with, with like... <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It's a happy torture. And it, <laughs> put it that way. It's a... If we didn't ask ourselves these uh, these questions, I think it's we'd be lost. And unfortunately, there is this um, pseudo mystification of the artist. Whereas I I believe very similar to artists that have uh, inspired me, even living ones like uh, Brian Rutenberg, that you know the artist should be capable of at least explaining a vague sense of what they're doing. Because if they don't, it's a very stereotypical pastiche of. Uh, a pseudo mystification where they're like, well, it, you know, the death of the author means whatever, man. Like it's, uh, I think an artist has to at least have some verbalization, but of course that's the job of the critic. But of course, as we know, our criticism is almost irrelevant nowadays, but well, I'm still doing it. So maybe who knows, maybe I'm, I'm the fool, but um, no, modern art critics or contemporary art critics, uh, their job is almost to uh, become meaningless in the internet age. Uh, because now everybody's a critic. Every artist is their own critic. Every artist is their own brand. And that is the reality of the contemporary world nowadays is that um, the artist is caught in a position where there is a collapse of meaning and signifiers. So every artist becomes a, a, a world unto themselves uh, in a, you know, like Slaughter Dyke said, it's the world of foam where there's micro bubbles collapsing into micro bubbles and that there is no one heliospheric center to current civilization. Although I would challenge that. I would say that neoliberal aesthetics have become, uh, neoliberal catch has become the center of our civilization. But that's another yeah. topic entirely. We'll get yeah, to that. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, I think that's, that's a really good point because, you know, on the one hand, you have reality fracturing essentially into this like mm -hmm. kaleidoscope of, of subgroups and people who, you know, just reflect reality towards each other. Um, and then on the other hand, you have, you know, humans of flat and, you know, this, this universalizing coffeehouse aesthetic that is just you know, <laughs> yes. completely eaten the world. Um, and in a way, you know, the, this universal aesthetic is the good and the beautiful. This is, this is what, you know, the, the, this is what our culture reflects to us. It's kind of neutralized and sterilized and flattened in a weird way to appeal to the, you know, to anyone. Anyone from any subdivision of reality can relate to the flat human, which is purple for some reason because he can't be yellow or brown because maybe yeah. that's controversial. It has to be a garish yellow. It has to be a, a neon yellow. Exactly. Yeah. The Simpsons universalism. <laughs> well that's that's the thing it's it's really um I, I i've talked about this a lot and of course i'm in the works of trying to convince eli schiff to uh, co-write the book on humans of flat design because there's a huge genealogy behind how that came about and in the contemporary art world and in the modern art, artistic modernism rather i would say the second wave onwards so let's say um you know uh from Debrucker in Germany, Picasso, Brock, uh, and even up to contemporary artists that do this sort of stuff. There is a huge history behind 
from, I would say, Picasso, Matisse onward. But th- what they were doing in the art world, th- what they were doing with the abstraction of the human form, in my argument at least, is fundamentally different than Humans of Flat design. Because to me, Humans of Flat, it's the sort of neoliberal kitsch aesthetic du jour because it's embodying what... Um, there's this great book that came out last year. It's called uh, The Aesthetics of Deculturation, where uh, I forget the author, uh, Ornstein something, I forget. But look up, it's called Deculturation, this amazing book. And basically what we're seeing is the the uh, reality, and th- this is why I call it neoliberal kitsch, because deculturation is the force by which the sort of consensus post-war reality uh in the aesthetic realm, but also in every single other strand of life, has to flatten every single cultural distinction in order to create a new globalized world where every single aspect from a, the aesthetic to the philosophic, to the spiritual, to uh, the, the material, and everything becomes annihilated. And it's just one global monoculture that is really in actuality an anti-culture because culture is the enemy of that post-war neoliberal po- project. So now that they have to get rid of culture, what are you left with? You're left with kitsch. Kitsch being the self-contained world from which um, there is no history. It's very ahistorical. And there is, uh, I'm trying to think, see, I'm trying to think of the book. I'm, I'm caught in the middle of a thought. But bi- essentially... The forces of deculturation is, in my opinion, expressed at its its apex in humans of flat design. Because now the subject becomes a polymorphous blob that is imbued with a without a history and without a future. And then, for example, what came out a few days ago was um, this graph of the city by UN Women, where it was like, uh, I think you saw, where it was like Equality Lane... Non-violence alley. I- I'm sure there's going to be plenty of violence in that alley, but um, it's it's you see that the humans themselves, the subject, is being meshed into the environment aesthetically around them. So now that the humans of flat design are these pastelly, pink millennial pastel aesthetic, now the whole of the environment is that sort of template. And I remember a mutual of mine. I forget who said to me, you know, oh, well, how come there's no church in the future of this like UN planned city? I go, well, because everywhere else is the church. The whole of the moral, the moralism of the contemporary zeitgeist that we're living in, that is like, you know, we, we say about this all the time on Twitter about the, the new woke religion, the church with no salvation. And so now society as a whole is sort of in a weird secular inverted counter initiatory way going back to that sort of model of medieval christianity where now the church is everywhere in society but it's the the global neoliberal deculturized church uh, of no yeah. salvation and it's really funny so now that they're and, and this is a very old idea because when it comes to you know, from the projects of the, the millenarian ideologies of the 20th century. So, you know, people use, they use Soviet brutalism. That's the, the ready example of the architect and the artist really capturing a vision 
that is influenced throughout the whole city. So now the whole city is like this self-contained utilitarian singular vision and architects have become very, uh, very megalomaniacal in that sense where they want to capture all of existence within this one vision. Whereas the ancient city was more of like an organic construct. There was of course the, it was centered around power, but now because, but now biopower has basically infused itself everywhere. Now everyone from the humans that live in the cities, the pod eating bugs, so forth to the aesthetic, to the way that, um, the, the basically this totalizing vision has permeated everywhere and this is why humans of flat design is so pervasive in the tech industries it's in the, the social media companies and these tech oligarchies because the sort of the californian ideology is sort of like that where it's a it's a, sort of like a liberal totalitarianism where now everything becomes this like uh hyper utilitarian rationalistic vision of society and this is why we're seeing aesthetic choices like flat humans uh like what i would term neoliberal catch uh, because there's a, a a purposeful uh denial of history and nature and so forth that go into these and this is why the the uh the tech sector has embraced this whole cloth because it's really their vision of the subject is no longer this uh, thinking, spiritual, uh, complex entity. Rather, people are just cogs and data sets and input-output mechanisms for data. And that's pretty much it. And so these Humans of Flat Design, uh, a great, uh, you know, another aspect of it, a great poster on Twitter. Um, what's his name? Real Good Boy. Uh, he, he had this point. He said, you know, Gio. Humans of flat design, they're imbued with almost like this perverse uh, sexuality, what what Freud called polymorphous perversity, because they look like, it's like when you look at humans of flat design, you think of like all of this weird, crazy, millennial, uh, polycule type of stuff, because everything, because like in Matisse and, and uh, Picasso and like in artistic modernism where the subject they're sort of bleeding into each other. And for example, you have modern uh, contemporary artists like Carol Dunham, who have these like very cartoony polymorphous perversity type of uh, drawings and paintings where these things are having sex with each other, these weird blob entities. Uh, and he, for example, Carol Dunham, he's the famous one who did the, uh, the big vagina paintings. And he's also the father of Lena Dunham. So there you go. That say no more. So, um, <laughs> So there, when you look at humans of flat design, you see this polymorphous perversity because they're blending into each other. Everything now becomes the uh, the total environment of the new, quote unquote, liberated morality of neoliberal modernity, and therefore the aesthetic of the subject themselves represents the totality of this sort of liberated character. And uh, sorry, I'm just rambling on right now. I'm, I realize. No, I'm no worries. Like, I think it's, yeah. it's it's super interesting. I mean, this this whole you know. I hope great... I'm making some sense, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're making sense to me. I don't know. I don't know about you guys out there, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, this this 
it's it's quite disconcerting. I mean, I've, I've been working in tech for quite a quite a long time. I've been kind of tech adjacent, and the, how fast everyone converged to this aesthetic, and also the fact that there's that that humans design kit or two two U's humans, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. three A's, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like they're they're this is the most like utilitarian, interchangeable uh, system where it's like, oh, you know, just just give her a wheelchair or make her <laughs> you know? make her. Make her trans. <laughs> exactly. Oh, we, we need more trans people. No worries. We'll just change the genital area or I don't know. <laughs> well, what do you think having worked in the tech sector? You, you know what I mean by the California ideology, right? Oh, yeah. Like, do you think I remember talking about this with Alexander Bard on Break the Rules. Um, and like, what's your opinion? I know this is you're asking me. I'm like your guest. But uh, what is your opinion on, on where you see the, the sort of utopian vision of tech as opposed to the reality that we have nowadays. I guess like the California ideology, it's still kind of persists, but it's like, I don't know, this weird mutilated sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's everywhere. I mean, this is this is the spirit of tech. Um, these like hyper optimistic, rationalist utilitarians, um, you know, seeing the world through like a two by two centimeter window and thinking they, they, they have comprehended all of creation, you know, you know, throwing wrenches into God's machine and then <laughs> surprised that, you know, sh shit goes sideways. Um, it's, it's quite, the hubris of it is quite scary and the, the, Kind of like the the monomania, the obsession with with woke stuff is essentially why I kind of moved away from from London, which is a, a, it kind of has a bit of a you know simulacrum of uh, Silicon Valley where right. I where I used to work. Uh, it's the same same people. Some have British accent, most don't <laughs> because they're from everywhere around the world. Um, it's I don't know. I I think it's very limited. It's very it's not very well thought out. You know the, the 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 butterfly effects contained in in all of this hubris are, are immense, and and these guys don't think can can see that far. You know, I mean, mm. look at what's happened by now. I mean, I think I might be a bit too Ted Pill to ever have worked in, in tech, but still, I know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I no, mean, but it, it's true, and you could see this in the the aesthetic choices that they make as well. Like that's the that's the even more depressing part of it because. To me, art is life, and when when I think of that, there there are some artists um, that are doing interesting things with technology, but a lot of them I, I notice they have the same. The problem is that when you have Silicon Valley nerds that are going into the art world, like uh, people like Superflex, for example, it's it's just like to me that's. For example, when people say that, well, you know, painting is dead, but it persists. Uh, the figuration is dead, but it persists. Uh, it's to me, art is that perennial Lindy sort of reality. For example, when it comes to the the humans website, me and Eli, we were talking about this uh, about the reality that a lot of these flat design choices there is generated not out of a conscious sort of artist or di graphic designer doing them but rather the the machinic program is taking over and the algorithm is determining what is the most market-friendly aesthetic that you can put on like a tech website interface and so to me i thought that was really crazy because there's a lot of people who have now come along and said well you know 
if AI can generate art, then the artist is dead. But the artist will persist. So it's really, I, I think that's because there's something within the human spirit, you know, since the uh, Cave of Forgotten Dreams day, where there will always be a role for the artist, whether it's going to be um, something that is radically different than what we think. And it's happening right now. I mean, I hate to say it. I'm in this weird space where I take, I don't know why I do this, maybe just to punish myself, but I take uh, the contemporary world seriously. There's a few others. Parallax Optics comes to mind on Twitter. But it's just, you know, I, I truly do agree with most people that say that these institutions, the way they are, they don't service the original purpose of art or in academia with philosophy, or in the tech world with like the original visionaries, the tech utopians, the cyberdelic people back in the day where you had Terrence McKenna that thought that uh, the internet was going to be this like psychedelic entity that's going to expand our minds, when really it's just closed our minds in a lot of ways. I mean, I know I'm a hypocrite for saying this because like I'm a creature of the internet, but uh, I, I feel that I, I agree when people say that these institutions are dying and they deserve to die. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to discount these things that are happening around us because the reason contemporary is the way it is, is for a reason. The reason humans of flat design and Silicon Valley chooses to have this particular globalized uh, decultured aesthetic, it's for a reason. And it's for maybe not legitimate reasons, but it's certainly worth exploring at least in terms of where we are going as a civilization and what the people that run the civilization think. And the best way to do that, it's not through politics. I, I, I'm very sorry to a lot of people that I know who are friends of mine. It's not going to be through politics. Art is the only way to gauge where we are heading as a civilization. It's, it's not going to be very long uh, rambling blog posts, even though I'm known for doing very long rambling blog posts but it's it's the truth of it is that politics there is no solution the only solution to me is art and i know this is like a totally self-serving like mark for myself type of thing because as an artist it's like i have to justify my existence but <laughs> but you know what i mean so yeah yeah, yeah i don't uh I, I don't disagree i mean i, I still kind of have some some feeling that there might be kind of a, a parallel political solution. But the thing is, you know, I, I really think it, it is downstream from aesthetics. You know, these things influence each other in, in a major way. And I feel like the, the right, uh, which I associate myself with, has been a very bad on aesthetics. They, oh, they yes. don't really have a concept. And, and if it is, it's just like kind of, I mean, I love all those pictures of like 1970s, 1980s women by a pool and like this modern <laughs> And like, you know, I don't know, like 1980s style cosmic paintings. It's real cool, but I, I can't, we cannot be, you know, crystallized in amber. That can't be the aesthetic yeah. of the right. Um, and I feel like a lot of people are also choking on the concept of postmodernism a little bit too hard, uh, yes. which is kind of a, a big bugbear now with, the, you know, the, the anti-woke, post-woke people. They're like, oh, you know, postmodernism is just this, you know, this event, the singularity where, you know, a couple of Frenchies came in and just wrecked, uh, wrecked liberalism and Western civilization. No, it didn't work that way. No, no, no. <laughs> I, and that's the thing. I, I, I'm truly, I truly believe that, like postmodernism will will grant us the tools from which we can get to arrive at almost like an anti-modernism. And and within within artistic modernism, there was always this backdoor of embracing 
not necessarily a accurate or authentic vision of anti-modernity, but certainly the feelings were there, whether it was artists like Jackson Pollock embracing the unconscious because he was young in, or whether it was like the neo-primitivism of uh, Gauguin and people like that. They weren't accurate representations of the cultures around the world, but at the same time, it was that sentiment of we have to escape what's happening now. It's in Edvard Bunk, it's everywhere. It, but even in post-modernity, I feel that there are potentialities. I, I, for one, I don't agree with this term metamodern. I think that's too, uh, especially the people that created metamodernism. They're, they're, they're liberal. Put it this way: they're liberals that have realized the consequence of as, as much as a lot of people on the right. They're like, oh, metamodernism can be based. We could utilize this thing. I, I hate to say that a lot of the metamoderns they are basically liberals that have realized that postmodernity has like this, as Frederick Jamins has said, has this like um, reactionary force behind it that can be exploited. And so they're like, oh, you know, oh man, we have to go back to uh, where we can create this like room for sentimental sincerity. Uh, whereas it's like, it's very much like kitsch for liberals in some ways, because it's like, well, oh, we have to go back to a sincerity, man. And, and this is, and it like, you know, you know this, you've, tweeted about this where i fundamentally disagree with like a lot of this conservative intellectual dork web thought where it's uh oh well you know postmodern marxism and oh my god it's it to say that like for example when they talk about relativism there there is no such thing like relativism was like an early 2000s thing can you look at the world that we live in the zekais that we're living in now the guest the episteme and say that we live in an age of relativism relativism was the tool to get us to this point and now exactly. it is you know exactly. it is an iron law that you have to conform to the new religion it's not relative at all exactly so i and again what i mean by the potentialities of postmodernism especially within art and the work of art uh there are a lot of artists in the contemporary world even nowadays who have afforded themselves sort of let's face it mutated and inverted forms of traditional art practice and ideas but at the same time that's like almost like the best that we're going to get so for example in the 60s you had you know at the cusp of you know the avant-garde dying and abstract expressionism was the whole thing you still had the inklings of the spiritual uh within painters like mark toby hyman bluff even Jackson Pollock, really. I mean, people, that's like the go-to, like besides Saitombly, that's like the go-to, like Paul Joseph Watson level <laughs> critique of like, this is like modern art is trash because it doesn't represent anything. It's like, I agree. Like You don't have to like it, obviously, but I do feel that there's something deeper going on there. And unfortunately, up until nowadays, when abstract expressionism died in the 80s, now we have conceptualism, now we have installation, now we have performance, which do possess some potentialities. But the problem is the, the new religion uh, is firmly cemented within the contemporary art world. And the contemporary art world, like the literary world, has become another organ of academia and there are outsider artists doing interesting things, but unfortunately, um, 
a lot of the things that basically would have to happen, these institutions would have to go away. And that's not going to happen anytime soon. But until then, I, I do feel that there are some interesting things going on. Uh, but it's just, you have to be aware of the danger, put it that way. And this is, I, and I get in tr- I've gotten in trouble with this, with, you know, my fellow online right-wingers, where I, I'm fully aware of the dangers of it. But even once in a while, you know, just a generic, you know, lib that's doing art, they can come upon or stumble upon something in their work that is interesting and uh, mystical and spiritual, but it requires a lot of that digging in order to get to there. And I, I don't agree with this immediate impulse. My, you know, uh, one of my recent videos on YouTube where I was painting this scene, um, uh, the, you know, that picture of that German tourist in Australia, the nudist, he's chasing the boar that stole his bag. You know that picture? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's a. I was doing this. I started this painting on Breakthrough Rules in a live stream once, and it's this German tourist who uh, his bag was stolen by a wild boar, and I'm like, I have to paint this. So even just for the meme, I have to paint this. So I was doing this painting video, but I was discussing uh, these recent tweets that blew up about how like I, it was like some Orthodox person. Not I'm not hating on a. I have a great admiration for the Orthodox Church, but this person was saying about how the Renaissance nude is no different from like anime, from like uh, pornography and hentai. <laughs> and I, I just I had to go on that. Uh, but anyways, the point being is that um, when it comes to the artistic sensibilities of the the online right, we are severely lacking, and I don't want to cast shade. I think it's important in one sense, but I see a lot of these aesthetic posters and I I, I feel that I, I don't want that to divulge into just another form of like right-wing kitsch because uh, I'm trying to check carefully here. I think it's good to celebrate beauty and vitalism and, and so forth, but I feel that unless you're actually committed to creating the work of art instead of highlighting what is good about other works of art. I feel that that is a very limiting sort of, it's a very limiting threshold and because anyone can become an aesthetic account, obviously. And there's some who do it very well, fashion blogger, earth eater, so forth. But I, I just, I think we could do better put it that way. Yeah. And, and the only way we're going to do it is if we foster an environment, um, where artists can come about and, and not be afraid to, uh, uh, to to create works that are truly crafting a unique new aesthetic that isn't just a recapitulation of like 80s fast wave retro futurism or like 19th century academic romantic paintings. You know what I mean? Like I feel that there's something to be done. There, there are other movements that we can pick from uh, like futurism, Italian futurism immediately comes to mind. Uh, that I think is a better model. And even Bronze Age Pervert talks about this. We've had discussions even about futurism and how there there can't just be a recapitulation of a sort of truncated romanticist catch. I, I feel that even even subjects like representation 
and the landscape because I started off as a landscape painter and I still do the landscape, but I, I feel like these things can be uh, brought into a greater aesthetic artistic movement on the right that isn't going to fall into the trap of kitsch. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's kind of uh, one tension I feel is that there's, there are probably artists out there that capture vitalism, that capture, you know, aesthetic, capture, you know, beauty, kind of this natural law of aesthetics somehow. But because, you know, filtered through the good and the beautiful, they don't really find prominence. They don't really, they just, they're just not reflected by the big mirror that is, you know, the humans of flat, uh, woke capital <laughs> system. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we essentially what we get is, whatever tracy emin bullshit uh what's you know <laughs> whatever's trendy nowadays that's just me being yeah <laughs> telling you the but, first but thing even, <laughs> but that... even within the, I, I wrote this one on my blog with tracy emin even tracy emin reveals something about the modern condition that uh, maybe it's not it's not worthy of respect in any sort of means but like it's it's worthy of it's worthy of a detached intellectual curiosity to say the least, because it truly is revealing. I hate to say it, but Tracy Eamon is a good example of the condition of modern femininity within, I would say the last 50 years and the yeah. conditions that have brought about the art that is even created in that style. I think a better example will be Jenny Savile, but like, yeah, Tracy Eamon's the most popular. Yeah. I feel like maybe my, my not hatred of Tracy Eamon. I mean, she's just such a, such a figure in essentially female circles, females that, you know, essentially labor under this, under the same problems. And, uh, they don't really see it as subversive art. They see it as, Oh, look, this is my life reflected. And, Oh, Gosh darn it, you know, we've got the same things, you know, I'm I'm also a huge slob and my life is going to, sh <laughs> to shit. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's kind of like, oh, you go girl type vibes. And I just feel like, man, if you if you took this as, you know, you know, critique of the postmodern condition, I'd be like, yeah, I love her. But, you know, just seeing how uncritically she's accepted as, you know, She's just one of us. Yeah, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> Think and about it. <laughs> and that in itself becomes a form of catch because now art no longer, um, it's like these still life paintings that me and my very good friend, who's actually a very good artist, he's one of these artists that we're talking about, Matthew the Stout. Uh, I've known him for years and he's like one of my boys. And we had this podcast where we talked about, um, I don't know if you saw these like still life, oh, of course you did. These still life oh. paintings that were going around a few weeks ago, just where it's yeah, like with the, the dildo, and... dildo and phones and wine <laughs> bottles and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, very very poorly rendered paintings if we're talking about hyperrealism. But uh, no, it, it represents. I I think um, the problem is that when it comes to these pieces, especially within. I would say feminist pop art, not to single it out because there are other forms of like woke art uh, that do this as well. Uh, when it comes to intersectionality <laughs> theory and art, the art world, um, the problem is that it art no longer is creating a unique world and it no longer is challenging. Um, it's no longer challenging, but it's affirming what is aesthetically pleasing or significant but it's not a significance where you identify with something deeper, but rather you identify with the surface of that subject matter in a sort of way that placates you instead of truly brings you to a higher 
form of thinking and feeling. So, for example, when Tracy Eamon uh, has the tent where all of her ex-lovers are, like, named on it, or, like, when this Mac Bream, that's her name, that did these still lifes, is painting uh, a dildo next to a glass of Chardonnay. But not just any dildo. It has to be, like, the double header, like, designed for female pleasure type of dildo. Uh, those are just sources of sources of placation and sublime sort of decadence. It's not something that challenges your beliefs or your way of feeling about yourself in any sort of way. Although I would argue that Tracy Eamon kind of does that. Like I was profiling her recent work and I think deep down, she kind of admits that uh, implicitly this type of lifestyle is like spiritually degrading and terrible but it's like because she's so invested in this aura of like Tracy Eamon as like the young British artist du jour, like subversive feminist art. It's it's just uh, it's it's yeah. there, but it's too disgusting for any sort of like trad reactionary to like plunge the depths. Like yeah. I personally think if the art world would have stuck with Georgia O'Keeffe instead of Tracy Eamon, we would have been. <laughs> feminist artists would have been in a much better position but that's just my own personal bias but yeah yeah she's um she's an interesting character and i think you know a, a big part of it might be she she just got old you know this this type of oh, game yeah. you know gets it's, it's quite interesting when you're really young it's you know when you're the center of attention i mean she's a she's a good looking woman <laughs> used to be and uh then you it get kind, old and then yeah there you yeah go. you know existential the female life cycle is quite existential after a certain <laughs> a certain age you kind of get confronted <laughs> with with death really really soon and and there are artists there are female artists who have done this gracefully um for example uh I know it's probably just a retread of Francis Bacon, but Jenny Savile, she is, you know, even though you could read into like the typical, like liberal feminist themes in her work, she's a portrait painter. Uh, she's one of, in fact, one of the only ones doing very good portraits in, in contemporary world. And, you know, she had this interview where she talked about how her having kids and maturing through that fundamentally transformed the way she looked at her own work of art. And there are, I bring up Georgia O'Keeffe because she's the example of a woman who through her artistic output aged quite gracefully and, and really grappled with the realities of the feminine, like fe female embodiment through the aging process that is very unique to men. And uh, I feel that that is a better model than this like very uh, young, hip, fast, like, 90s riot girl feminism in art that is has like such a limited shelf life and there's a lot of artists nowadays who get art grants that are going in these galleries that uh you look at their art especially because of trump and it's just this stuff is not going to age very well it's not going to age gracefully um and that's yeah. unfortunately that's the problem with all activist art and this is another lesson that the the online right uh has to get is that activist art and political art, or rather art as a vehicle of politics, never has that much of a good shelf life at all. And uh, not to say that works, I all work of art in some level has a political dimension, uh, but at the end of the day, you, uh, I, unfortunately I think you have to almost go back to uh, 
what Walter Benjamin called fascist aesthetics, <laughs> where he said that, you know, you know, the, the, the left, the communists, they had this like politicization of aesthetics. So like Soviet realism, but the right has historically had this aestheticization of politics. So now politics becomes the work of art. And, and a lot of like, especially nowadays, uh, I was reading these articles. I was writing this one piece uh, that hopefully will come out soon where, uh, you know, they all have these like pearl clutching headlines about Walter Benjamin was right about Trump because Trump is turning politics into the work of art through post-truth. And, all this. and I'm like, good, good. I hope. I don't think Trump is that conscious of it, but I, I truly, and again, this relates back to post-modernity. Post-truth and post-modernity, the, the hyper-reality that we're living in, has afforded us these tools of aestheticizing politics like nothing else. So now performance becomes the work of art. Political performance becomes the work of art. And yeah. I truly feel that the online right has to explore this more. And there's already work being done. There's already people who have done this. You yeah, know, since 2016 and onwards. Maybe not even in like an explicit way. In a way, I feel like this kind of a, this egregore that's that's formed from by you know just Twitter anons uh, creating memes and and spreading you know just the, the most exquisite language about the you know what's ailing the world yeah. is is already some form of performance art. Like the the Babylon Bee is performance art. Yes, it's, you know, it's just just the 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 contrast between. Reality, which is, as we know, Twitter anonymous accounts, <laughs> what they're what they're shelling, yeah. um, and what's out there is, you know, is, is probably I don't know, I don't know, it's, it's probably some form of installation. Well, there there has been, um, and, you know, I'm 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 friends with the guy I admire very much, uh, DC Miller, and he was the one that organized uh, i don't know if you remember the ld50 gallery you remember that no. well this was like in 2016 it was basically a gallery uh with a lot of installation pieces from uh like og frog twitter people so like uh metaquan 4 was there uh tv ameriqua uh that other person that we all know but uh complete the system if you know what i mean uh so they, it got shut down and it was called fascist and the, the entirety of the London art world basically tried to like destroy the lives of everyone involved in this gallery. But I wrote something a year after where I said, well, what if there was um, a, like a hundred underground LD50 galleries? What if there's more of this? What if there's more performances? Not in sort of like an unconscious event so like you know alex jones going to a protest although that is very effective you know a lot of good content has arisen from alex jones going to protests but what if there was conscious effort involved in sort of like the i would say chan culture to twitter you know e-write culture creating political performances and then later the visual plastic arts can like sort of catch up I, I think there's a lot of potentiality in there and there has been some instances of this, but I, I feel unfortunately for the longest time since 2016, 2015, uh, the people at the top. And again, I don't want to name names, but they haven't been conscious of this. It's really just been like, I create my call to personality. I create my grifting cult. I create my pay pigs 
and then like when the going gets tough they leave and or they like transform or something and i feel that the problem is that there is no uh organization behind any of this besides like micro networks that are centered around certain figures there there should be more conscious effort and planning into these political aesthetic events or into just uh making and creating things in general and i feel that nowadays people have realized this and there are some people that we know that are doing good things uh but there needs to be more emphasis on it there needs to be sort of like i'm not going to say like uh you know jonathan height uh uh, what does he call it? Unorthodox Academy. And, uh, you know, heterodox, the heterodox, Academy. heterodox Academy. There certainly should be some type of like Agora model of education. And there should be, I, I feel, some sort of alternative network of artists and artisans and people that create things that can, like, we've been talking about alternative institutions for so long, for years now, uh, that I, I, Nothing has materialized. I mean, there's some things in Europe. I can't say I'm from a North American perspective, but I I know in Europe, like there has been more organization, but in terms of art making in general, that's something that needs to, uh, I believe is of vital importance to create some type of alternative art world or to at least have a sort of uh, in the declining period of the contemporary art world, they're very similar to how like Soviet architects did very interesting things in the declining periods of the Soviet Union in the provinces, uh, in, in the satellites there, there can be, I think maybe an outgrowth of taking institutions within the contemporary world, within academia and sort of like, you know, while the censors are, you know, not around as much because they're even trying to keep up with the collapse. There can be periods where, through the back door in the sticks, you can create interesting things. But until that happens, uh, alternative institutions, I feel, are the only way to go. I, I don't know. I'm just rambling right now. I yeah, feel like I am. Just, no, know. I think I think I think you're right. I mean, the the whole creating alternative institutions with your internet friends. Uh, I've been in any forum I've been. It's been really hard because the people yes. who rise to the top in and these are like high verbal intelligence people who spend a lot of time on the internet uh they're not they're not the the you know movers and shakers not the conscientious people i know myself i mean i'm I'm definitely a very verbal less of a a doer and And every, everywhere I've been, it's, it's really hard. It's like herding cats, you know, and I thought it was only because I was like in kind of libertarian circles before and I was, yeah, yeah, everyone's libertarian. Obviously, they're not going to coordinate, but whew, it's the same in, in, in every, in every spot. And, but I, th- I feel like there, there are little points coalescing and now it's, it's not necessarily in the, particular right but there for example there's you know the, the proprietarian institute not very artsy but they're they're you know they have kind of this whole pile of information they're they're educating people they're doing outreach um, obviously it's around proprietarianism but the, oh, the it's it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's quite but based I mean. yeah, i've looked at their resources and they're they're quite based i mean you know there's, there's quite a lot of, of potential in there and they, they're getting a lot of clout there's uh something called true spasm which I'm not crazy about the name, but you know they're they're doing that as well, and there there's certain points of coagulation, but you know it's it's not you know the institutions that are created right now or yeah or it or glorified internet forums 
They're yes, yeah. They're not really, you know, without institutional power, it's, it's hardly an institution, is it? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to take over the, you know, the, the reins of power without exerting actual power because they, they can just unperson you overnight, as exactly. we've seen, as we see every week with friends of ours. And it's, it's quite, it's quite, yeah, it's disconcerting. I mean, you can be controlled opposition until we want to really snuff you out. It's, <laughs> it's, it's quite exactly. scary. And, um, and, but that's, that's the whole condition as well because, that is the panopticon that is like um there doesn't even have to necessarily be feds involved it just has to be the hermeneutics of suspicion it has to be uh people that are selected for this role of controlled opposition but when they become too burdensome to the powers that be they're sort of unpersoned they're taken off they're given the alex jones molyneux treatment of like just everywhere everywhere at once just getting rid of them so yeah yeah unfortunately that that's the problem i feel i don't want to be black pilled about it but there there really is uh well if we go down this road we're just getting getting into the typical stuff so yeah 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 it's uh it, it is you know i mean I've, I've just kind of showed up on on twitter and it's already kind of giving me the heebie-jeebies um but yeah it's it's normal anyway another thing i wanted to chat to you about is abortion <laughs> oh boy so Right into it, eh? <laughs> no, because you were just yeah. posting something about abortion before I started the stream. And I was like, man. Oh, because of Argentina, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting, you know. I, it's yeah. this, this is like, to me, it feels like this is one of those, um, you know, lever issues. Like, you know, it really separates the men from the boys. It's it like, is the lever issue. Yeah, <laughs> it it's, it's, it's essentially the last ground of, of morality and then culture. And the way woke capital is taking this on, the, mm. the, the sheer demonic force that's behind it, and the, the, the celebrations, the shout your abortions, this... Yeah. It's quite shocking. I mean, I, I, I'm Eastern European. I come from Romania. We had like quite a checkered past with, you know, the contraception being illegal. So any form of contraception was illegal. Obviously, abortion was legal. We wanted lots of lots of Romanians. And we have quite a situation where, you know, a lot of, you know, coat hanger situations. People got thrown into the, into prisons because of that. People died. So abortion is a hard to, to bring up issue in Romania. And it, it is very legal you know we've got a lot of abortion uh but at the same time it's it's a deep moral issue that you know stretches out not only you know into the lives of the children but into lives of the mothers into society in general like what type of society do we want to cultivate so i don't know uh and in art in art as well i know you've uh you've done a lot of work around this and you've you've proposed so what's um what's uh, what's the future of abortion in art <laughs> Oh boy! Wow. Unfortunately, um, I, yeah. Like, well, I did this big uh, monster gallery review that was like seventy pages in the beginning of the year. Um, this gallery that had like a lot of like the most important like feminist artists, like Marilyn Minter, Cindy Sherman, Laurie Simmons. By the way, Laurie Simmons is married to Carol Dunham, and they're and she is the mother of Lena Dunham. So, <laughs> of I, I, I I think Laurie Simmons is actually a better artist than Carol. But uh, yeah, so th there was, it was called "Abortion Is Normal." This was it was an emergency gallery because, of course, Trump gave cover to a lot of uh, legislation 
pro-life legislation that was basically allowed to be put through because of the Trump presidency. Uh, so there was a lot of activist art. And of course, I picked through all of it. I, I, I try to be deeper than just like straight up denouncing it because of my own personal beliefs. But uh, I basically what I'm seeing right now, and of course, there's a lot of activist art that is being generated from these images, whether it's Argentina or Ireland or Uruguay or uh, elsewhere, where it's like these, uh, and, and, you know, they all have English signs, ironically enough, right? Um, these women crying in the streets in celebration of being able to commit infanticide. And there is a, a lot of activists are going around the, the act of abortion itself and the, you know, not to give away too much of it because go, you can go read it for free on my blog uh, in the major PDF section. Uh, I call it bodily profanations part one to three. And I want to write a follow-up piece of it as well. Uh, but basically there is a profane inverted counter initiatory uh, reversal of mythos and uh, spiritual symbology around the act of abortion itself. So you have a lot of art pieces in this gallery and in other ones. There's recently been one in D.C. Uh, where you have the sanctification of secular saints, like uh, especially Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, you have religious iconography being inverted and used to this, uh, what I would call a postmodern archetypal remanifestation of the terrible mother archetype that Jung and Eric Neumann talk about that always crops up in the work of art in the declining period of every empire. So now you have the sort of the, the civilization that has embraced this vector of death because death and life are intimately involved the way that sexuality and death are involved with each other. Le petit mont, right? So you have this embrace of a terrifying, uh, inverted spiritual femininity that now is the cosmic longhouse mother squatting and destroying her own children uh the way that in various mythologies throughout the world where now the mother is the terrible mother that is consuming her children and this up upsurge of energy is reintroducing a weird inverted resacralization reenchantment into the politics of modernity and abortion is the vector because, you know, I, I had this thread explaining this where to me, abortion is the like alpha and omega of social issues because it has to do with the state of the soul itself because it is your disposition towards life and death. It is the issue because it says so much about a person's beliefs and, and most cherishly held values and and uh, worldview weltenschung because it is that which you claim to be this is when the experience of life begins and ends and from there you can defer i would say every single political belief on this one position on this one social issue yeah and yeah. i know it's like i'm making i hope i'm not making too much of it but no it no. seems to be like the social issue for a reason it is and to, to me i i see the same thing and maybe in kind of even a broader way in, in antinatalism to me yes. which is which is 
seems to be the 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 you know very intricately tied to the cult of modernity like when i yes. when i heard that you know mckinsey was paying people to get their eggs, eggs frozen when you know in, in the in the vain hope that they might still work after you know 40 years of, of <laughs> beautiful service to the company yes. it's um it was quite shocking and and the fact that you know in, for example in london in tech circles you know telling people that you're not going to have kids because i don't know polar bears are suffocating or some something's you know something's dying something's melting uh is as absolutely normal and people are like oh you know maybe i'll have one kid because you know two is is really you know bougie um is is quite i don't know it's 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 really a an anti-human stance and right. it's it's so pervasive and it's everywhere and it's it's very much preferred by by woke capital because you know you're you're young we we don't want to we don't want to um have you fill your productive years with <clears throat> with child rearing or if you if you do then you know have someone from el salvador do it you know you know another woman yeah. probably and, and that's the thing right like this is uh not to verge too much into politics i know you want to talk about art but um you, there's like people like these bread tubers these uh woke people uh like one of them philosophy tube he had this video about this absurd book that's been totally disproven where they claim that witches back in the day were like the proto-feminists rebelling against capitalist uh, control of women's bodies because capitalism had to control women's bodies to create more workers and some bullshit. But in reality, it's the opposite. Cap modern capital wants to put a lid on re the reproduction of people within the Western world because it's far more easier and far more effective just to import people via migration and globalization and so forth and to limit the reproduction of peoples who um, have a, at least a tactile cultural milieu and background of uh, self-sufficiency and so forth. Whereas it's much easier to import migrants to do menial labor because they have a loyalty to the system that uh, cannot be replicated through people who are native to these particular Western nations. And so... And I know, like, there's problems, like, I don't necessarily agree with every aspect of, like, the bio-Leninist thesis, but it does ring true in that you're cultivating loyalty through displacement. And, and ironically enough, there are artists who uh, maybe they think that they're doing this, like, woke, like, I'm a migrant neoliberal type of stuff. But behind that, there's this one artist, I forget his name, I, I wanted to write something about it. And I think I will now that I've rem reminded myself of it. It's uh, last year. Um, you know what the Turner Prize is, right? Nope. Oh, well, the Turner Prize. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the Turner Prize is like the art world prize uh, in, in, in England, in, in London. It's mm -hmm. like if you win the Turner Prize, you are like at the, the top of the art world, right? And last year... There, there's, I think there's usually four nominees, like four finalists. They just gave it to all four of them because it's something about like, oh, equality and inclusion and stuff. Like that. <laughs> but one of them was this uh, Chilean transplant to, to London. And he had this uh, installation piece where he, it's about migration. And basically there are these like, um, th these like scarecrow figures that are filled with straw and they're in this like gallery where it's set up to be like a train terminal. And it's a commentary on the nature of displacement through migration and through uh, 
the globalization of the world. And, you know, a lot of people, the typical like analysis in the art world and the guardian of like how this is a commentary on like Brexit and stuff like that. (laughs) But in actuality, it's saying something profound about the state of how the globalization of the world has led to the displacements of people and their cultures and the forces of deculturation flattening every single cultural unique uh, aspect of unique culture throughout the globe. It's a profound commentary on the, 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 it's a profound lament rather on the state of the world today. And I feel like that is important and impactful. And even though it was one in sort of like a, you know, stupid, silly, everyone gets a, everyone gets a participation prize sort of a thing. Uh, it's very important, and someone could look it up. I forget the artist's name, but uh, to talk to tie this into abortion, on in terms of the contemporary art world, this is very much the in vogue. Like, I would say it's almost like a juvenile, like retrograde, like early two thousands. Like, you know, we're gonna stick it to those fundamentalist Christians sort of thing, where they have artworks around. Um, I'm trying to think of it because I, I spent a period of a few months immersing myself in this stuff and just like gritting my teeth. Right. Uh, they have like you know, the typical like period blood paintings and fo- photography of abortion equipment, like the, the scalpel and uh, you know, installation pieces. Like one of them was just a, an installation in this abortions normal gallery. One of them was just a, a, a plastic donation box to Planned Parenthood, that that's that was the art piece. It was just a donation box to Planned Parenthood. <laughs> but there was other more interesting pieces. One of them was a tapestry of a, uh, I think it was called Lady Justice, where it was a uh, like a racially ambiguous person of color that was designed to appropriate medieval tapestry art, where it almost looked like the visage of Kali in Hinduism where she had a sword and on her belt was like the cutouts of uh, male arms. And like one of them said racism, another one said uh, sexism. And so the, the, the terrible mother, the woke by POC uh, mother goddess is now chopping off the arms of the oppressor. And you can see in the center, this hairy, uh, open wide uh, vaginal uh, front cover and and to me that is indicative of what i'm talking about in the whole piece of where the contemporary world is going in terms of these political issues they have to desanctify and profane and invert religious iconography in order to achieve this spiritual warfare that they're committing to people and, and the, the difference i have is that I believe that it's important to look at these types of art because it really shows where our world is going and where it's heading. As I've said, I'm, I'm just repeating yeah. myself, you know? No, I, I, I completely agree. And, uh, I feel like because this, this, this world, you know, the world of woke capital is so insulated and it does a great job of insulating itself. The fact that, you know, this, this art piece, obviously for people who come from the woke, woke paradigm, they look at it and think, Oh, you know, look, look at this yeah. piece of art, but, 
for anyone who's at least a little bit outside of it, it's not only grotesque, but it's it's stupid. Like <laughs> this is yeah, yeah. This is conceptual <laughs> art, you know, done by a second grader. You know, could come up with <laughs> with something similar. So yeah. the the you know what I'm optimistic about, and this this goes for for literature, for for journalism, for politics in general, is that being in a silo makes people dumb. Then it makes them almost lobotomize with their own, mm. you know, grandeur. And, you know, that, that builds up. So anyone who's kind of a little bit on the fence and, you know, because of, you know, spaces like Twitter, people get a little bit of a whiff of what's outside, outside of the, outside of the echo chamber. Uh, they, they might start to see how, how dumb things are getting. Because, you know, I mean, maybe it's just me and, and me just being in my echo chamber. But whenever I get a, a whiff of, of normie stuff, I'm like, this is a very, you know, low IQ. This, <laughs> <laughs> this, this. And, 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 and that's the thing. Like an, another issue, I would say, it, it came up. Uh, you did this excellent, excellent podcast with my very good friend Versa Loon uh, on his Versions podcast. You, you were talking about the same issues. Um, I, I, I feel like the the problem is that we've been debating these issues for so long that the there's a purposeful flattening of language around these issues because like you said, like to normies, it's, it's just like the same old, like one dimensional, like one syllabic talking point of like, you hate women and you know, you want to you know, control people's bodies or on the other side, it's like the same, like, cause the, the right is no different in some sense. Like, but I think like the way I view it is that I, I can't, know the reality of the embodied feminine to the extent that men have an anima inside of us we have a feminine part inside of us but to me it's more of the pseudo liberation that causes more forms of egregious oppression so for example abortion is a form of pseudo liberation in that it's saying that women can be liberated from nature the pill can liberate the, the feminine from the confines of, I don't know, the patriarchy, so forth. But in another sense, it's instilling even more of a horrendous form of oppression through over-sexualization, through the reality of women denying um, what is, in my opinion, the most important regions of the feminine through motherhood. And it's a way of denying nature in order to instill uh, even worse forms of anti-human uh, oppression and anti-woman oppression that is sold to women as liberation. And pornography and uh, the over-sexualization of all life is indicative of this. And uh, I know people who are using the, the nakedness of the female body towards divine ends uh, I've known performance artists, performance art artists who are doing that. Wow, sorry, I'm getting out of myself. Um, I know people who are doing this, but at the same time, I feel that uh, there is this hidden oppression that is very damaging to women. So these women, they're going out in the streets, and it's an aesthetic image of like neoliberal kitsch, where they're like. Uh, oh, look at the woman liberating themselves. Look at this painting of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it, to me, it's like they're crying over this. It's almost like a like midsummer uh, inverted ritual 
uh, where they are crying in the streets. They're they're praising uh, the the act of killing. It's very similar to this. Uh, you mentioned Shout Your Abortion. One of the, the most aesthetic images to ever come out of Shout Your Abortion was Gloria Steinem. You know Gloria Steinem, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. Yeah. yeah, Paid by the CIA, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard. She, Alex Jones talked about this. This is back in 2011. Alex Jones talked about this. where uh, And it's all gone now because YouTube, we all know what happened. Where Gloria Steinem, they had these black and white photos of women who wore the shirt Shout Your Abortion. And there's a black and white photo of Gloria Steinem where she's wearing the shirt and she's doing the third eye symbol. So Alex Jones, he's like, see, look at this picture. Gloria CIA Steinem. Uh, uh, she, you know, her third eye opened wide when they stuck a blender in her and she killed her own child. And then it's like, literally, she's doing that with the shout you're aboard. And so this is the type of art that I critique in my piece. And to me, that says so much about the spiritual state of, of mankind and of Western civilization in particular, uh, just by that image of like the premier, the top of the heap feminist academic activist uh, having opening her third uh, eye. I'm not doing the, the Diamond Dallas Page thing. Uh, I'm a fan of professional wrestling, so people know the Diamond <laughs> Dallas Page thing. But she's opening her third eye. She is inverting this spiritual iconography uh, in order to serve the demonic political ends of the uh, interdimensional uh, demon reptilians that run this world. So, (laughs) so yeah, like to me that, that image says it all really. I, I, I really love your point about, you know, the, the replacement of, you know, this, this, theoretical oppression by real oppression because you're you're essentially freeing yourself from one aspect of nature which is essentially also tied into the most you know gratifying experiences that you can have as a woman and you're also blocking yourself in youth because you know this is this is all you know super super fun stuff and you're mm-hmm. liberating yourself to have fun you know yeah. when, while you're young and then you're kind of sacrificing the future you're sacrificing you know you're, you're kind of blocking yourself into a paradigm that just says okay i will be forever young which is also what you know woke capital says that you can be you know with, exactly. with all of our range of products and all of this consumption that you can engage and, in and notice how the aesthetics and the political movements and the attitudes, and this is probably because us millennials are like the, you know, we're like the boomerang, like uh, eternally young, infantilized generation, because like the millennials now we're taking over these these avenues of civilization. It, it's all geared towards this like eternal um, mixing of young and old and maturity and immaturity. And it's like this polymorph. Again, it's like this polymorphous perversity. We're now consuming things, consuming sexuality, consuming identity, consuming products, eating the bugs, living in the pods. That is all designed to infantilize the world uh, through this like central planning model, this like great reset uh, agenda twenty thirty type of stuff, where now everyone gets to live the dream of being a child forever, and the aesthetics represent this. The, the conquering of nature in an ironic way has led us to an eternal childhood, but not the eternal childhood of Nietzsche, not the spiritual childhood of creating the child as the representation of creating the new. Like Carl Jung, he called this the pure 
uh, Eternus of the child archetype because the child will bring about a new world. Now the child is a, a prisoner of childhood because women and men and everyone, we are prisoners of this infantilization uh, through the economics of our current situation, through the cultural output of the current situation. Yeah, where... we're, we're all children of the devouring yeah. mother. That's the only, yes, yes, only yeah. archetype, and this is what we have to be because this is what our culture has. has uh, the longhouse mother. Yeah, it has perhaps each pervert cause. No, it's true, and the thing is, like, this is a hallmark of, of post-modernity as well. Uh, Frederick Jameson, again, goes into this in his book. Uh, it, it was called, uh, you know, Postmodernism, the, the Logically Capitalism. Very famous book where he talks about this collapse of the high art, low art distinction. So now we have people in academia talking about comic books and the Beyonceification of culture and how WAP is indicative of the, the uh, cultural moment. This is the dis the collapsing of the distinction between high art and low art, and this is where, ironically enough, people like Jordan Peterson, the the uh, the classical liberal types that talk about postmodern neo Marxism, they don't understand that the Frankfurt School also predicted this because they they had a fundamental disagreement with the postmodernists that came later, but there's some similarities there, uh, particularly between the Frankfurt School and Michel Foucault. Uh, I. When I was in academia, I wrote this, uh, my master's, I wrote this whole thing about it. Uh, but not, again, I don't mean to toot my own horn, obviously. I, I think credentialization is bullshit, BS. But uh, the point being is that when you look, when you actually read Horkheimer and Adorno, when you read the later works of, uh, of Theodore Adorno, when he talks about the culture industry, he talks about, like, in his book, Aesthetic Theory, he's predicting the reality that the, the, the distinction between high culture and low culture is going to completely collapse and it's going to be terrible. Because now people think that, like, and this was in the 40s, like, he would he would have a, you know, if he came back to life, he'd, like, immediately want to go back if he saw nowadays, right? But he was talking about jazz and Disney movies, where it's like, now Disney movies, that's high culture. So there's this proletarianization, or rather this, lump in proletarianization of all culture because now the the people that we used to refer to as inscribing the gatekeepers of high culture so people that we used to go towards like academics art critics as the source of where we got our notions of high culture now they're talking about comic books they're talking about the marvel universe the way that they used to talk about proust or shagall or Rembrandt, it's like now they're talking about uh, yeah, Thor is... and and uh, yeah. what, what's uh, what's a WAP? <laughs> they're talking about WAP as a major. Th they're, 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 I guarantee you, there will be doctorate thesis being done in these studies departments on WAP. There's already ones yeah. being done on beyond as as we so, speak. I'm sure. I'm sure. As we speak. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. it was quite the the cultural phenomenon. I know, like some of my some of my friends who were kind of like you know who woke woke on the art world and and stuff and and in, in a bad sense, you know, they were really taken with WAP. They loved it. It's just like this new <laughs> feminist anthem. And I was like, oh god, that's but, a WAP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> but but that's the thing, right? That's that's the um. I, and the thing is, I don't I don't want to just like again, like I don't want to like go into. Uh, because it's very easy to do like the um, 
Yeah, Paul Joseph Watson. Paul Joseph Watson. Like, what, what did my friend Matthew call it? The trad take industrial complex. <laughs> where it's like, you look at this and it's terrible. And we all know it's terrible. We all know it's spiritually degrading on a deeper level. But I feel that I, I, I wouldn't want to, um, when it comes to the art world in particular, I, I don't want to devolve into that sort of like simplicity. But I would say when it comes to the culture industry, like when it comes to like, Hollywood and like I wouldn't say the music industry because the music industry is kind of dead but the music industry has grafted itself towards uh, the, the Hollywood culture industry as a whole so like you have uh, like you know WAP is a good example of that where now you know that becomes part of the sum total of the global culture industry and and when it comes to that stuff I, I wholly I wholeheartedly agree like this stuff is just trash it's just uh, yeah. it's not going to be um there's a pseudo relevance to it. There's a pseudo event behind it. You remember that song? Uh, was the guy's name Donald Glover that did the, the America? This is America. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there, there is like, there's a conscious media generated hyper reality to the way these pieces are taken up by the culture industry. They're promoted as like this song is like the new like american songbook like this is the the most creative statement of our era there is but at the end of the day i truly feel that a lot of these works they're not going to be remembered in like not the next 15 years the next 10 five years i I feel that and it's because they're manufactured they are pseudo creations of the culture industry and they're promoted as being the profound statement of our time and the, and the thing is that they are kind of like statements of our time period, but not in the way that these uh, these uh, gatekeepers of culture think they are. Yeah. Because they're, they're highlighting the reality that we live in a series of pseudo-events and pseudo-creations and pseudo-art. And it's just a sued, sued, sued. Nobody's free of pseudo you know? Yeah, it's like we, a... Uh, we're sued's ourselves, so yeah. They, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like a, you know, simulacrum to the fourth order. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't think people like Paul Joseph Watson actually necessarily, you know, they're obviously not, you know, they don't know anything about art. But what they're <laughs> reacting against is, you know, I think it's is a good instinct because, you know, they see the value inversion. They see, yes, this is obviously spiritually bankrupt and therefore it is bad art. I don't necessarily think you can make that equivalency. I mean, if you think that partially the purpose of art is to, is to you know, create a world that is, uh, you know, th- that has something to do with reality or it presents some form of, you know, fragment of reality that's real to at least, you know, the, the artists themselves, then it's good, it's good art. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. makes you, it makes you feel something, that's and, for sure. And the problem is that he used, like, the absolute worst example of Saitambli. Like, Cy Tomley is an artist that um, everyone, like, looks to the red loops and they're like, oh, my God, it's terrible. But there, he, he's done some works that I would say are monumental uh, works of abstraction that have a color sense, that have a materiality to them that is a very lush and aesthetic and says something about the state of the unconscious, similar to Pollock, similar to um, Rothko and so forth. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think, like, he uses, like, the worst, obviously, like, you know, use the worst example of something. But I get what you mean. It's true. Like, the instinct is intact. 
it's just the the analysis of it is very easy to meme on. Like there's you know people like all these like bread tubers they'll like take apart Paul Joseph Watson's takes on on art and film. And it's like, uh, you know, it's the same like thing with Jordan Peterson. Like if you have, if you don't have, um, if you have a working knowledge of these academic movements, it's very easy to like come and criticize uh, people like Peterson or the Weinsteins that don't have like the same knowledge of like the difference between Marxism in the, you know, the 20th century and postmodernism in the 20th century. And it's like very easy to like uh, just tear the paper tiger, you know, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And I, I just, uh, I, you know, I, I definitely love Jordan Peterson. I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. But at the same time, I feel like he injected this meme of postmodernism being causal. And it just doesn't really make any sense. And I feel like it spawned yeah. a, a whole generation of people trying to riff on the same theme. Uh, it, that's just not how history works. It's There's not, you know, there's not aliens sort of suddenly showing up and, and vitiating a culture. Um, it doesn't, you know, this is, this has happened, you know, maybe since the Reformation, maybe mm -hmm. earlier. This was, this was, this has been trajectory of, of, of Western culture yeah. just by its very nature. You know. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's you know it's an autoimmune disorder and yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. And the antigen has to come about uh, from yeah exactly yeah, and it's the, the culmination of forces that has created these conditions and it's the particular dispositif of our time that the the sort of uh, the the discourses that make up the conditions of power and knowledge have created and fostered what we see now there has been i would say some conspiratorial elements along the way but not in the sense of like it being a guided phenomenon uh, these intellectual and artistic trends come about um at least they did come about organically although i would say with the introduction of digital technology these events are much more easy to concoct and hyper reality has sort of uh created the pseudo event and the capacity to generate pseudo events uh, like nothing before. But in the time period, these intellectual trends that people like Jordan Peterson talk about, I would agree. These, these things, unfortunately, have come about organically and they are in the body of the like post-Reformation, post-Enlightenment, post-Renaissance Western world. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're not things that you can just like tackle by like, I don't know, signing legislation. And, I, you know, I hate to criticize it, but... The, the Trump thing recently, uh, like when it comes to architecture, right? It's not something that you could just do away with by saying that, you know, buildings have to be built aesthetically beautiful. Yeah. Like, because what does that mean, right? Like, I think we, we have an instinctual... Architecture is something that is uh, just as instinctual as anything else, right? Because it's designing dwelling itself, you know? So, and dwelling means so much more than just the non-place of, like, a public building. But when it comes to, like, actually putting a concrete legislation on it, not that I disagree with that legislation, but it's more so, like, it's sort of like the academic thing, like, uh, let's suspend academics till we know what's going on. It's like, that type of stuff isn't working because you're trying to get at something that is intangible like even just uh when people talk about censorship in academia or censorship in the art world it's even more subtle than like them just like telling you to like you know you can't do this it's more it's it's deeper than that it's more of like they're selecting for a phenotype that they let 
go into these institutions to begin with. And so it's very difficult to just say like, well, you know, you have to have like the fairness doctrine where it's like, you have to have, you know, how, how do we get more based in red pilled academics into, into the ivory tower? It, it's not going to work that way. These things yeah. are more subtle than that. So, and yeah. indoctrination doesn't really happen at that level. I mean, if anyone could remember what college was like, you know, I mean, professors were influential up to a point, but it's essentially the peer group. It's, it's yeah. you know, this, this mindset is the water you, you swim in and it's yes. high status. And the more you ratchet it up, the higher status it is. And, um, yeah, people will gravitate towards that. You know, even take all the professors away, replace them with Khan Academy. You'll still have, you know, people, you know, setting things yeah. on fire in Berkeley. It's, it's just really, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's the nature of the world at the moment. And, you know, yeah, it's going to take quite a big lever to, to, to shift things up. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm excited to be in uh, in the middle of what could potentially be a lever. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to ask you one final question, which I try to ask people uh, on this uh, future podcast, <laughs> not yet out, um, is um, can you think of someone who is a subversive thinker, you know, living or dead, that people don't know about or would be well, um, you know, reading, would do well reading or would, you know, yeah, would find, you know, useful information for navigating the, the modern condition and um, that you think is underrated or just not, you know, people just don't oh know about them. Oh, my God, that's, a, that's such a hard one. That's yeah, I mean, I'm you trying to think of names. You here, mentioned yeah. Agamben and I mean, I'm yes, not yeah, yeah, yeah. so but he's well read, though. Like, I mean, I know that read in your circles. I haven't read him. So that's good. I, I know the academics have. Uh... It's funny that you say you haven't read him because you had some takes like on Twitter that like come like startlingly close to uh, where it, I actually have it here because I'm right. I'm I've never done this this uh, virus article, uh, but uh, Homer Saker, that's his like main like magnum opus, and and you tweeted some things that come like very very close to what he says in this book, and I know that academics uh, have like totally rejected him over the the lockdown takes right because but i i truly think that the he's one of these thinkers in this weird space where uh the left the, the united like woke left they're so they're sort of like um they're like slowing themselves off of him and other thinkers like i think we're starting to see this with michel foucault where the wokes they've even gone beyond foucault because he says things that are inconvenient to them uh so these are like sort of the thinkers for many years now I've preached about that we need to read. But in terms of like an obscure thinker, I mean, you could go with meme choices like, you know, Ted Kaczynski, but you know, people know about this, right? Uh, I don't know. I think, um, can I pick an artist instead? Would that be better? Yeah, of course. It's, uh, it's with, uh, with the theme of the show, it works really well. Uh, uh, Georges Rouault, Georges Rouault mm -hmm. is a uh, Christian mystic artist that uh, in the early 20th century that crossed the line between symbolist art and expressionism and the way he approaches the suffering of Christ is, is the type of art that I aspire to make uh, him an artist like uh, 
like um, Nikolai Rorish uh, when it comes to the landscape and his various perennialist uh, endeavors. He he's also written books as well. One of them is called Shambhala. Uh, you know, these are people that artists that have been sort of forgotten by time, but I feel are ripe for exploration. Uh, Odilon Redon is a bit more popular, being a symbolist painter, uh, but. Georges Rouault and Nikolai Rorish are two artists slash mystics that I feel everyone should be taking up. But in terms of like legit thinkers, um, I don't know. I think, uh, well, Alberto Del Notch is one of them. Uh, Nordo and his book Degeneration, I feel should come back because every, you know, everyone reads Julius Evola and, and Rene Gunian, but, uh, Nordo and Degeneration is another book. That's really good. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of like really obscure ones. I don't know. <laughs> don't go too obscure. Me, me, being, me being Canadian, George Grant. I feel George Grant uh, really like was a modern prophet coming out of Canada. He really predicted what was going to happen with North America and globalization. And uh, he wrote this book called The Memphis Nation, where he talked about how basically neoliberalism will transform Canada uh, into what Canada is now, which is like the quote unquote first post-national uh, country. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, I, I know, eh? Um, yeah, and I, I don't, you know, when, when Justin Trudeau said this, I don't even think he knew the implications of, like, what that truly means. But, you know, people, uh, they're like, okay, why should I care about this? Okay, because I truly think, you know, people talk about the Sweden model. You know, I'm not just saying this because I'm Canadian. In fact, I'm quite ashamed of this but i truly believe that canada is the model from which the neoliberal uh political and social uh geopolitical order is going to go towards because they want a form of like post-nationalism where canada has become like this like neoliberal economic zone slash bedroom nation uh of the world and that is the model that we're going towards and george grant i actually have it here so lament for a nation uh, he talks about how Americanization uh, basically took Canada from what he called high Toryism, where we had an ancestral connection to the old world in Europe and American neoliberalism basically came in and turned us into this like uh, model of the liberal, like American post-American now post-American century. So uh, he predicted all of this. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately, uh, people look at America as being more of like the sort of conservative North American country. But that's only because there are conservative elements within America, whereas Canada didn't have the same immune system. So now Canada is basically like a more liberal version of America, a more like, you know, hipster leftist version of America, especially under the Trudeau regime. Uh, but. Ironically enough, Canada had more of a old world European sensibility than America, obviously. And unfortunately, that has been totally lost because of globalization, because of globalization actually is Americanization of the world. And we had no natural immune system to it. So now Canada is basically just like a more liberal America. I hate to say it. I, and it's a lament. You know, I remember I had this great professor once uh, and he said uh, we were covering lament for a nation and it was a comparative politics class 
And I go, well, you know, uh, can't we go back to high Toryism? And he goes, no, Gio, we can't. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, come on, Gio, it's a lament. Like, uh, come on, like it's <laughs> you can't can't do anything about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but yeah. so the reason I bring this up is because uh, George Grant isn't that known outside of like Canada and like maybe certain American academics. But the reason George Grant is important as a thinker uh, is because it really he predicted back in the fifties. He saw the trajectory of these nations that were being uh, globalized by the American culture industry machine. And uh, I feel that Canada is the model of where we're heading towards. And we see now, you know, we we talked about uh, with abortion. As you know, Canada has no abortion law. And it's purposefully designed that way to have like, uh, you know, things like partial birth abortion, everything. And, And so you see these nations that were, uh, quote unquote, held back by things like the Catholic Church in Ireland and Argentina and elsewhere. Now they're having these like totally psyoped uh, foundation funded celebrations in the streets by court cases that have allowed abortion. And abortion has become the symbol of what it means to be a, quote unquote, first world country. And because you're liberated now, we're, li- you know, so congratulations, Ireland. Congratulations, Argentina. Now you are a liberated first world country. Congratulations. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and, and Canada is the model because Canada was the, um, and continues to be the woke testing ground for every particular social program that's going to infect America five years down the road. And when America gets, uh, when America catches a cold, the rest of the world will sniffle. Uh, but uh, when China catches a cold, the rest of the world is sniffling. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so sorry. I'm yeah. just, I'm, I'm rambling right now. Ah, no so, worries. It's okay. Yeah. This is, this is what podcasts are for a bit of rambling is uh, as part mm-hmm. of the, part of the deal. Um, yeah, I mean, the the thing is, you know, Romania is also, we, you know, we're not the canary in the coal mine, but we're, we're downstream and, you know, exactly, everything's right. happening here as well. Like, keep... Would you say Romania is a part of, like, the, like, the, the based in red-pilled Slavic ring of, like, you know, Hungary or Poland? Or the, no, you guys are, like, totally no, colonized. The, the problem with Romania is that, it's, to be honest, it's not really a country. It's three, it's three like, ex uh, kind of little shires that were put together about a hundred years ago under kind of Austro-Hungarian rule and um, there is not really there's not really that much coherence like Hungary is a highly coherent country like you know if you can see that Uh, Poland as well they have kind of this imperial history that kind of ties the nation together Romania Romania is is an export ground for you know brain drain and criminality I keep saying we got the Western Europe got all the smart people and they also got all the criminals which makes this place a really nice uh, a nice place to live you know Uh, and uh, if you have Twitter to talk to you know interesting people then it's 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 great it's Um, funny because Canada is almost like Maybe not exporting crime, but like uh, Canada, the reason Canadian multiculturalism is like the state religion is because I would argue that Canadian provinces are even more, um, they're even more regionalist than America because it's almost like these several separate identities, not just like Anglo-Canada and French Canada, but now like Western, like Prairie, like Alberta, like those people they have no relation to us in Ontario. We have no relation to them almost culturally, at least same with Quebec. 
So it seems that the reason multiculturalism has been allowed to become the state religion, it literally is like a state religion here, is similar in that we are like a conglomeration of disparate parts and like peoples that like have no business like connecting and through the years are like unique identity because Canada used to have, believe it or not, a unique like identity. But over the years that slowly become eroded and when Trudeau's father uh pierre came into power he like totally gutted the like the old world canada and instituted the public religion of multiculturalism through state legislation and so it's funny you're telling about romania because it seems that a lot of these uh a lot of these countries that have come under the spell of the like neoliberal religion are countries that have experienced immense fragmentation you know, like Romania, you came out of the Soviet Union in like a terrible state with Ceausescu and so forth, right? So it, it it's like, same with like, it's almost like a miracle that Eastern Europe has managed to retain a lot of their unique uh, cultural uh, backgrounds and sense of identity because of what happened with like the, you know, in the 90s when, when the Union fell and, and like Tito went away. Uh, because a lot of these nations, like Ireland is one of them where you have like North North Ireland and so forth. Fragmentation breeds this perfect opportunity for the globalists to exploit them and uh, institute state mandatory enforced multiculturalism that really isn't multicultural. It is a homogenization through difference, through the exploitation of difference. And, and superficiality of those uh, cultures. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you can you can see this really well in, in Eastern Europe. You know, the the, mm. the smaller and like less gravita- gravitational pull a country has, and you know, you could say that you know this is um, you know the the, the less right wing a country is, the the more it's 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 also under the European Union. Like for for Romania, the European Union is legitimately an aspirational super or, supranational organization because um, this is kind of my thinking and this is kind of what was borne out by the facts is that their um their game theoretic equilibrium is exported from the west even though they're corrupt they're not as corrupt as we are and there's been quite a lot of positive influence by having people from you know administration and people just coming here setting rules putting their foot down and they've kind of hemmed in corruption a little bit Mm -hmm. but at the same time you've it's a bit of a devil's bargain you know you've kind of sell your soul on so many levels to get you know an injection of this miracle juice that comes from the west (laughs) because yeah the the problem that you have in in places like this is that you you have a a bad nash equilibrium it's it's Mm -hmm. as you always are incentivized to defect because that's that's the nature of the game you you don't want to be the first sucker who's honest and exactly. after 50 years of communism, yeah, you know, you need someone coming from the outside injecting some, you know, magical Western juice into the whole thing so that it, it actually it actually works a bit and has worked a little bit. And there have just been a lot of projects done with European money. But at the same time, you know, the, the core of the country is hollowed out. Our, the smartest people in the country are in the West. You know, there's, you know, there's nothing really happening here except for, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit less corrupt, <laughs> which is and, yeah. And did you return back to your homeland because you feel um, a sense of purpose by trying to uh, deliver your intellect and your gifts towards uh, Romania, or 
Was it just like you left uh, London and Silicon Valley for other reasons? Yeah, I left. I left London, Silicon Valley mostly. I mean, I've I've came back for you know to be with family and mm -hmm. to be somewhere where I have a, a bit of a more rootedness. And um, um, my my husband, he's from New Zealand, so it might be the case that we end up you know moving to New Zealand because he has like a huge family there as well. We don't know yet, so this is also kind of like a COVID situation where you know I'm we are in Romania and we're going to stay in Romania probably for the next year or two. Uh, but yeah, who knows what's going to happen? It's it's definitely going to be somewhere where we have family you know that's the most important mm -hmm. thing yeah I, I, I wouldn't recommend especially nowadays going back to New Zealand uh, they're not uh, they're 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 under the spell right even more so I, yeah. I don't know how Australia managed to become uh, retain some of their based in red pillness uh, Australia actually should have been if it wasn't for America Australia would be like Canada or rather we would be like Australia like Australia is the actual Canada they still managed to retain some of their, like, uh, I, I think, like, uh, it's a very crazy situation we find ourselves in, uh, in, in the provinces of the world, whether it's Canada, Romania, or elsewhere. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think um, as much as I don't want to agree with uh, people like Alexander Barr, but I think he's correct when he says that all the interesting things are unfortunately going to happen outside of America it seems that America is on its uh, declining phase. And uh, I don't know if, if Biden gets in, especially in, in January, uh, it's uh, who knows what's going to happen. I don't know. I don't want to bring up the crystal ball, but it's not going to be fun. Uh, it's uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to be too black pill, but I guess like uh, being in the situation that Canada is in, it's, it's much easier for me to, uh, be less emotionally invested in what happens across the border. Although what happens in America happens to us. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's I think the the only position to take at the moment is kind of this, you know, uh, you know, stepping outside into history that, you know, mm -hmm. Curtis Yarvin recommends and I, I tend to agree with him, you know, you know, even even though it's it's depressing if you have any any sort of uh, emotional stake in, in what's going on. Yeah. But um, you know, it's it's good to to kind of have that Machiavellian lens and just yeah, and just look at it as as what it is. It's another cycle of history. Mm -hmm. uh, we're at the decline of the empire. You know, might as well just get some popcorn. I mean, it's not like <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna and, halt it. And that's the thing: at the decline of every empire, are potentialities that can arise in culture, in art, in philosophy, and there is a way that through fragmentation, there is a sort of like a, a buildup of system controls where the monitors, the, the gatekeepers of the system, they sort of, they can no longer contain the contradictions and they can, I wouldn't see, be surprised Maybe not like the tech companies, but like the, the social media companies. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is in the next 10, 20 years, a sort of loosening up of the guard because things will become so fragmented where they really can't keep a handle on it. Of course, the ultimate black pill is if uh, the neoliberal order finds a way to like exist in perpetuity, uh, you know, by like embracing like a Brazilified half failed state uh and and who knows uh what's going to happen from that I, I don't think we're going to become like i don't know some like 
romantic vision of cyberpunk where, you know, uh, the, the government is collapsing, the totalitarian order is collapsing, but we have these like cool visuals. Rather, we're going to exist in a vermin tower pods like uh, in that movie Ready Player One. Uh, back in the day, I wrote this vicious critique of that movie. Uh, where we're going to live in that one scene where they have like these sky high favela trailer parks miles high into the sky the, maybe that will be the future who knows hopefully not uh, yeah. well, uh, but the, the choice between that and collapse i mean that's kind of obvious to me but uh yeah and even collapse in itself uh collapse can be this dark romantic aesthetic that people can embrace especially on our side. But unfortunately, I, I, I see uh, this sort of um, what we used to call back in the day doomsday optimism that unfortunately civilizations don't just collapse like that. I mean, maybe if some solar flare comes and all of a sudden the war, the tech of Kaczynski's vision can be implemented through the global solar flare that will knock out the power grid, unless that happens, uh, civilizations don't tend to collapse in this like dramatic uh prepper type of fashion and i feel that that's in in some weird sort of schizophrenic way that's almost like too optimistic to say like oh well things are gonna collapse and we're gonna have like i'm gonna become an epic warrior king in my cess trap with my uh harem of uh 75 wives oh and, yeah that's uh, it's not gonna yeah it just r- reminds me of the fact you know that how how sheltered uh, and how you know un- unimaginative in in the direction of suffering people have become. You know, we yeah. are the children. We are you know the the devouring mother might be harsh and in, in her devouringness, but she is protective and she has yes. sheltered us from you know the vision of death. She's sheltered yes. us from from you know disease, war, and and you know things like that. I mean, and, and that's the thing. That's why like when people say the gynocracy, I know it's like this like. Uh, manosphere insult type of stuff that i was enmeshed in for many years but to me the gynocracy is what you're talking about with like this the terrible mother is a protective force of like the womb her children are in her womb and they are protected from uh death and disease and and what's happening recently again this ties into Giorgio Agamben, is because the response to what's happening and, and, you know, people know this if you've listened to Breakthrough Rules podcast, but um, I, I re- you know, I'm a recoverer of the uh, Chinese imported delicacy. And thank God me and my folks were all right. You know, we, we didn't have it bad. But, you know, and it really just further ingratiated my suspicion that this is a huge over a huge purposeful overreaction. And the reason this ties into it, because Giorgio Agamben, he talks about how uh, the preservation of bare life is the only metric of success where biopower which is really the power of the consuming mother to shelter her eternal children is the only metric of success where bare life is preserved among all uh, above all other things so we have to suspend the very relations that we have towards each other and towards ourselves in order to preserve bare life. And it's very much, uh, and, and the aesthetics of it as well, the dancing TikTok nurses, that is the devouring mother. Uh, that is, and, and, and in the future, I want to do some paintings where I explore this because the way that they're, uh, the, the language around 
the media headlines around the vaccine, for instance, where they're like, well, even if there's a vaccine, you're still going to have to social distance. You're still going to have to like suspend every relation because we're not sure that it's going to work for everyone and all this stuff. So that is the, the, what we're seeing around us has an aesthetic, cultural, spiritual, political dimension all wrapped up into one. And the terrible mother is preserving the life of her children, even though she has to destroy in order to preserve. She has to squat down on her children like the longhouse mother. And, uh, you know, so yeah, that's the whole... All of these things are coming together. I feel. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm being schizo right now, but it's no, just no. A, yeah. I I think it's yeah. you know it's it's a it's a great um, image. I mean, it's a terrifying image, but it's a it's a, <laughs> it's a very you know yeah it's 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 a culmination of everything we've been building up towards. You know, just yeah. a, just a, to me, it's it's so shocking how fast everything enveloped us because this, yes. this is it's kind of like a, the, the the kiss of death the hug yes. of you know a, a suffocating hug from from our betters uh and that you you shouldn't deviate from and i see it here as well like you know at, at the beginning people were a bit like yeah we know i don't know i'm not going to really wear the mask like now everyone's like you know drones they wear the mask they do the thing they eat the bugs and it's yeah. it t- took a few months and it's uh yeah it's terrifying. So I guess, you know, on that terrifying note, <laughs> we shall leave you with the deepest of black pills. Yes, yes. Darkest shade of black pill. Um, yeah, thank you. enveloping me. <laughs> yeah. All that I see. Nothing well, but black pills. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, that's just as a part, partially the purpose of, of the, the show, to, to rob you of your will to live. So... Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much. So Gio. I love this is amazing. And, and to not leave on a black pill note, uh, the work of art will deliver you out of the black pill. And uh, the creation of the work of art is the ultimate white pill. And uh, through art and through uh, engagement with people that we wouldn't otherwise have talked about in the world or talked to in the world. To me, the friends along the way is the real white pill. So that that that'll be my final thought that I'll leave people with to not like uh, to pull myself back from the depths of the black pill. I I love it. I think it's the most wholesome possible end to this. I wholeheartedly (laughs) agree. I think friendship will save us. And, you know, you know, hug a friend, guys, wherever, wherever you are. If you're listening to this, go hug a friend, hug your mother. Yes, (laughs) that's my note. (laughs) All right. Thank you. If you like what you're hearing want to see where I take it and maybe want early access episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you.